Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today, we discuss the riot in Ephesus in chapter 19 and Paul's ministry at Trous in chapter 20. James Myers discusses the necessity for reclaiming the boldness of the New Testament church. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Father, as we consider your word, what you've done in through your ministers, the tumult that the world lashes out against us, be with us, give us peace, give us boldness, give us strength, give us truth, give us power. Speak to us now, God. Give us eyes to see, and ears to hear what you have for us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Feed us by your word. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hear you, Judah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's fun. All right. So we're gonna st- we're gonna go uh, we're gonna read Acts chapter nineteen verse thirty one until um, chapter twenty. Uh, so chapter 20, verse 16. Okay, so again, chapter 19, verse 21 through 20, verse um, 16. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia uh, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that uh, that we have our prosperity by this trade. Excuse me one second. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go uh, into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they uh, found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are the proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question uh, for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this, this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dissembled the assembly. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed, there, and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also 
Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of uh, Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Trous, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we joined them at Trous, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they, had, where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, uh, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, he had, uh, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not, and they were not a little comforted. Then he went ahead uh, to the ch- so then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board for for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he and when he met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board and, and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. Uh, the next day we came to Miletus, for, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He, has, he who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Okay, so let's jump up back to verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in, spirit, in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So, Remember, he's in Ephesus, and now he's purposing. This this Greek word, the Greek word for purpose here, is also like establishing. So he's established. He's planted by like a tree in the rivers of water. Remember Psalm 1? So he's established. He is firm in the Spirit. So he's firm in the Spirit. The Spirit is leading him uh, to, to, to when he goes through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem and and we'll see that's for the day of Pentecost. That's why he wants to go there. We saw that briefly in the next cha- in chapter twenty. But after that, he wants to go to Rome. We have not seen him go to Rome at all. Uh, but in his letter to the Romans, he is telling them, "I long to come to you, uh, but have been hindered until now." And seems like his his uh, journey to Rome is is pending. We're, this is kind of a leading up, okay? Next week we will see him go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he's arrested. I don't, well, we might see that next week. We might have to wait until the following week. But we're going to eventually, we're, we are basically two thirds through Acts. So when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and, and that will eventually lead him to going to Rome because he appeals to Caesar. So they have to take him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. But we'll get to that. But right now is the first time we see that he even wants to go to Rome. So right now he's saying, after Jerusalem, I'm going to go to Rome, which ultimately does happen, not you know, by his own will. He's taken there by force, uh, but also by God's will and providence. Now, so, so he decides, since he's going into Mas- uh, Macedonia, he sends uh, Timothy and Erastus. Erastus is also mentioned uh, later in ch- uh, chapter 20. He also mentions him in uh, other letters. Erastus was a very faithful companion of his. So Erastus and Timothy, Erastus was also, um, he kept the treasury. He was a treasurer, so he kept the treasury. So he's kind of the Judas of that kind of a deal, uh, but he was faithful. So, you know, <laughs> uh, so Timothy and Erastus went and, and he himself stayed. Now, now the rest of chapter 19 has to do with a great commotion, a great tumult, a great riot that happens on account of the way. Now, before we even get to this, we have to recognize now we, we know that the, we as Christians see that when, when the Bible talks about followers of the way, that's pointing to Christ as being the way. We also have to understand that in the Greek and in Roman categories, the way is really a sect. Then, at this time, uh, Christianity is seen as a sect of Judaism. But really, in other, in other uses, especially with the Greeks, it's like heresy. It's a heresy. So, you know, it's... it's Irreligious, it's 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 erroneous. So there, it's kind of, it can be both ways. They could be basically saying, you know, it's just a sect of Judaism, or they can be saying this is a heresy. 
I mean, the Jews would probably use it in that way. But again, that which were often uses insults for the Christian, the Christian bears up, you know, and and takes as 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 an you know as a uh, compliment. Really, yes, we are followers of the way. The way is Jesus Christ, you know. Um, but you know, again, they wouldn't see it that way. So here comes a riot. Now, there are a few things I want to mention about this. We see hostility to some degree with the church today, but much less because the church has been very reluctant to be faithful to the Word of God. The more the Word of God is truly and faithfully preached, the more the church is, pro, uh, is persecuted. And that's what we've been seeing throughout Acts. We see Paul goes into the synagogue to reason in the synagogue, and he gets harassed, he gets, he gets beaten a lot of times, he gets stoned almost to death, he, gets, he goes through all of these trials because he is a faithful preacher. All of these faithful men are attacked. Now that is not... Today in our time, about a million and a half babies are aborted every year, and the church basically does nothing. Because they're too scared. You gotta be PC. You gotta be politically correct. You gotta come in with kids' gloves. You gotta deal with the world gently. No, no, this is a murder of babies. This isn't something where we should just sit on the sidelines and be indifferent and hope everything works out. No, Paul would not have done that. None of these men would have done that. And so, what God implores his faithful men to do here, he implores his faithful men and women to do in all preceding generations. We must not dim the lamp of Christ just because it's inconvenient, just because we're scared of getting insulted. I have never been beaten for the cause of Christ. I pray to God that he will call me worthy to be beaten and to actually be persecuted for his, for his namesake. Because then at least I know <laughs> that seemingly I, I am faithfully preaching his word. We must get back to the time where the world hates us. We are not here to appease the world. We are here to light the world. Be all the light to the world. But the, light, but the world who is determined to be in darkness, remember John even talked about that, will rise up in hostility. Let that not even, not, don't let that just weaken you and make you afraid. Make that engender strength and boldness just like they were praying for every time they were get, they were attacked they praised god that they were called worthy and then they prayed for more boldness continue doing what you're doing they never asked for rescue they never asked for deliverance they asked for boldness strength your word is true your word is true and so we are determined to preach your name and your word and your truth to the world no matter what happens to us and that's where we need to get the church to be again. She is sleeping, she is scared, and she is hiding. And she needs to show her light. She needs to brighten her radiance to the world, no matter what response might come. And it will be persecution. That's why I continue to say, we will be persecuted, we will be hated. By God's grace, if we are faithful to His Word, we will be. The world is in darkness. The world hated him. They will hate any light that comes from him. So let us not only not be scared, let us also not be surprised. Let us embrace whatever trials, whatever tribulations that God puts in our path for our sanctification and his glorification. When we sit back, scared and silent, we are suppressing him. Let's remember that. We are called to be the light. This is a glorious privilege. This is our time. This is our time. Each generation has a time. And I pray God fervently that now is the time. Now is His time. Now is another time for an awakening, for a revival, where the church wakes up and is the light of the glory of Christ again. That's what's going on here, and that's why it leads to commotion. All right. So, and about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. Okay, so Diana. Okay, so Diana uh, uh, the, was a Roman goddess uh, of fertility. Uh, her Greek 
counterpart was um, uh, Artemis, who was uh, the goddess of the hunt. Okay, so now remember when we looked at Athens of the Areopagus, and how and you can even you can still see the Areopagus if you go to Athens now. It's it's great. It's pretty. Remember we we even looked at that statue. It was fifty feet tall. You know. The temple of Diana in Ephesus was four times that size. It was considered one of, well, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was destroyed around the fourth century. There are all sorts of different stories um, about that account. Even somebody had blamed uh, John Chrysostom, the faithful preacher at that time, of, of, of destroying. Anyway, so it was four times the size, and, and it, was, it was standing on 127 columns each 60 feet high, a very grand and spectacular temple. It, 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 and that's why the, the Diana of the Ephesians, all of Asia knew about this because Diana is considered their patron goddess. So, so when, we'll get to there, but basically a meteor, probably what was a meteor, fell um, in Ephesus at one time. Now, and, and whenever that would happen, they would consider that being sent from Zeus. And then they would kind of like, kind of like a blocking test, you know. They would see something in that, in that meter. And here they saw the fertility goddess, uh, Diana. So they, they used this rock. And so the, the, the Diana falling from heaven was most likely a meteor. Um, so, but anyway, um, so he's making silver shrines of Diana for, for people... So again, she's the patron goddess, just like Rome makes patron saints for all these different reasons. She uses, she's basically going to idolatry, to what the idolaters practice. We see that nowhere in the Bible. There, nobody is praying to other men. Nobody is praying to other saints for these specific little things. Like you are the patron saint of health and so we're going to pray to you since God's not good enough maybe you'll pray to him for us no the only, our only mediator is Jesus Christ and him alone and so but they had a patron goddess and that was Diana so that would be over all of Asia okay so he this silversmith makes these little gods again just like you know some would have you know Saint Paul in their garden or something you know, a little statue that sometimes they'll go out and pray to, or or statue of Mary, and sometimes they'll go out and pray to, just like that. You know, they they get uh, these little statues of Diana, go out in the backyard and pray to it, and all the rest. And so that so that's what he's doing, and he makes a lot of money there. Basically, most of the economic, most of the economy in Ephesus is driven by this worship, the temple worship, uh, the the craftsmanship that goes into these making of the gods. Everybody's visiting this area because of this great temple and all the rest. And so uh, they have a bunch of uh, tourists as well. So, uh, so he brought no uh, small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that uh, we have our prosperity by this strait. So he gets all of his brothers together, all of his co-workers basically in the same business together. He wants to start a revolt. And so he's got to get like-minded people with the same prejudice, with this, for the same in, you know, intention, for the same incentive basically to shut this down. So he gets everybody, you know, we make our trade this way. You know, this is how we make money. Uh, moreover, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not they are not gods which are made with hands. Remember, when he was in Athens, that's what he was talking about. God is not to be a God made by hands. Or ideas. Let's be let's remember that idolatry is not just made with stone, silver, and rocks and all the rest. They are you he's you. Our idolatry is usually a god of, of our own making. Just like a lot of Christians who want a god of love, they just want a god of love, 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 but they will not have a god of wrath. Or a god of, and ultimately, if you have a god of love and, you've, and, you have, and you want a god and you, dis, uh, you don't include a god of wrath and you don't have a god of justice, you, you, you have an unkind, ultimately, and terrible and, and lying god. So... We worship the God who is. We worship the God who has revealed himself to us, not that we have made up. 
not not of, the, of our own conniving and our own you know perceptions and our own ideas that is the history of man and again that is what goes on now okay so this this guy is persuading that paul's going all over the place and saying you know they are not gods who you know that are made by hands we ought to be going around the world now and they are not gods who you call expert experts just because you can you can bring out all these medical doctors and say that abortion is fine no the word of god says it's not god says it's not and so it's not and it's still murder no matter if you wear a lab coat or not. And that's where we need to be. Just like where Paul was. Being persecuted because he's telling them the truth. He's trying to bring salvation to these people. These people are worshipping things made by, by, by human hands. And he's trying to tell them. Remember, he, when, when, when they were all worshipping Zeus. And he says, turn away from this. Worship the living God. This is why we're here. And now you're trying to worship us. No, I'm trying to preach to you the Christ, the Son of God. Worship Him, turn to Him. And so that's what He's doing. So He's, he, the, Demetrius is trying to tell them that basically this Paul character is trying to raise up a revolt against Diana. He just doesn't want Diana to reign. You know, he's got this thing against Diana. Um, okay, so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, now we see the, the, the false uh, character of this man. Let's say... It's the same with us, right? Let's say we see we see these men hostile to the word of God or whatever, and they're they're trying to infiltrate the church, right? And so we want to we want to do something about that. They need to be confronted. Well, if I get a bunch of preachers together and say, "Hey, this guy's coming in," and you know, this is how we're making our livelihood. You know, I mean, this is how we're making money. So let's do something about this. Oh, and yeah, by the way, if he does infiltrate, then but you know, also God won't be worshipped. It's a byproduct. You know, again, he can he he initially goes to, "Hey, this is where we make money," and then all of a sudden it's, "Oh yeah, by the way, you know, our goddess won't be, you know, worshipped either." So again, we just have to see the heart of, of these people in and through the accounts. He, he takes what should have been first anyway, if, if Diana was any kind of real uh, image of worship, you know, sincere image of worship, they would have considered that long before they considered losing their own money. Does that make sense? Okay. 28. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Okay. Now, what happens in these religions, just like in many religions as we have now, you will just have these incantations. You just have these repetitions. You just say the same thing over and over and over. And the Bible is clearly against that. They say, you know, don't, don't count on a bunch of repetition of words. That's why, again, going back to the Lord's Prayer, you know, we have to be, we have to be intentional about praying that meaningfully within the context of what Christ is actually saying through that prayer, and not just repeating it over and over and over by rote. It's not a magical incantation, you know, doesn't have any power other, you know, outside of the sincerity of, of the prayer. So, um, okay, yeah, so that's what they start saying, greatest Di Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. We'll get to them uh, some other time, God willing. However, so the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord. Many of them, well, let's continue. Uh, no, that's okay. So many of them didn't even know why they were rushing into the theater. They were full of confusion. Some of them know. But this is just a bunch of chaos. Chaos has erupted. We see that in our own day when there's a big tumult, a bunch of people. You know, when you see riots, people will just break into the store. They have no idea what the reason is. They're just following along. You know, here's a chance to get a free TV. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Um, okay. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials at Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried, okay, so he didn't go. So Paul wants to go, you know, and, and he probably thinks, 
I can, I can put it, you know, I can hopefully, you know, by God's grace, you know, I can put an end to this. So he thinks, you know, hey, I'll go. But some of the disciples implore, no, no. And then now on top of that, some of the city officials who really know what's going on come and tell them, no, don't go. And now Paul, being a humble servant of Christ, he's not, he's not going despite that because he just thinks he's the answer to all this problem. He comes and he hears the faithful uh, um his faithful companions in the faith, and, and he agrees and stays behind. Uh, and also, again, this theater is a huge amphitheater. Again, we can't think of like AMC theaters or whatever. It's a huge amphitheater, which was outside. The ruins are still there this day. Um, so it's this great, great uh, arena. Um, where are we? Thank you. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. There you go. Some of them didn't even know. Now remember, the word assembly is ecclesia. That's the ch that means church. So there, there's a church of the devil, and there's a church of Christ. There is an assembly where the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing, and there's an assembly of Christ's elect, Christ's bride, coming together as faithful brothers and sisters under the under the wonderful grace and majesty of Christ. But let us also recognize that there is an assembly of pagans as well, just as committed to tear us down as we are committed to lift him up. Okay. And they drew Alexander out of the multitudes, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. Now, we don't know if Alexander was a Christian. Uh, it says the Jews put him forward, so... You could assume that maybe he was, and that's why they put him forward, because he, they're basically just kind of, you know, <laughs> sacrificing him. You know, this is the one. This is the one you want. You know, you're going to kill somebody, kill this guy. We don't know. But he wasn't given a, uh, an opportunity to give a defense. Now, this might not be the same Alexander, but um, Paul writes to Timothy that an Alexander and somebody else had strayed from the faith, had made a shipwreck of their faith, and Paul actually delivered them to Satan so that hopefully they can find salvation again. There's a lot there, but just real quickly in this account, because we'll consider that, again, God willing, when we come across it. But, but it's just important to recognize this might be that same Alexander who was ready to give up his life in this account. And if, it's, if it is the same account, if it is the same Alexander, so he's brave in this account, and then he later makes shipwreck of his faith. So just because you might be, you know, you might find a courageous brother or sister in one account, it doesn't mean, it, doesn't just, it just doesn't guarantee that that man or woman is a true follower of Christ, okay? There's a lot there. Okay, but when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried, about, cried out for about two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours they're doing this. They're just lost. They're just lost and their, their intent is to tear this whole thing down. And so uh, Alexander's trying to give, him a, give his defense and like a petulant child, they're just screaming, a, a, you know, above him to drown him out. <clears throat> Silly, such as it is with pagans of all generations. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? There it is. The image was basically a meteorite. Um, but so the city clerk is there to basically keep the peace. Um, Rome was huge on keeping the peace. And basically, if, if the proconsul or if the city magistrate did not keep the peace, they were typically punished. That's why in the other accounts, we see that a lot. They're very interested in keeping the peace. And so sometimes they would beat these people, really, again, to keep the peace. I mean, sadly, but when they didn't know, when you know they thought they weren't Romans and so forth. So this man, that's what he's there to do. Um, so everybody knows about, you know, Diana being the goddess of the Ephesians. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. So this city magistrate recognizes, or this city official recognizes, this is completely unjust. This is completely foolhardy. None, nothing has compelled this. Uh, Paul hasn't robbed temples or blasphemed, which is next. Okay, for you have brought these men here who are neither uh, robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. So 
he's even he's just saying, look, they're not taking any. These are not. These are. This is not actually a legal situation. And he goes on. Uh, Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. So basically, if if you actually have a legal charge against Paul, take it to court. Court is not in session here. This is a theater. You know, if you if you have actual legal recourse against Paul, take him there right now. You have started this uproar over nothing. And but if you have any other uh, inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. Again, that's church. So anyway, uh, for we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. So the city official brings it brings it down. You know, everybody kind of recognizes that they kind of lost it for two hours. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly because those people would be get, would get punished as well. I mean, it's a huge uproar. Uh, they, they're all, uh, we are all in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. So uh, that's the end of that. So the city official brings peace um, amidst this whole riot. Okay, so going into chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased... Paul called the, uh, the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So remember, he had sent uh, Timothy and uh, Erastus over there, and now he's going to join them. Remember, once he goes to uh, Macedonia, remember that map, that third, his final missionary journey? So he's basically visiting those churches. Again, I just want to kind of give you a little foreshadowing. Paul knows, Paul knows this is his last missionary journey. Paul knows... His martyrdom is coming. Okay, I'll put it that way. Uh, and the following chapters are going to be really difficult to go through. But he, he knows that. But right now, so he's going back through these churches. It's really important to know because we are stopping just before a very sweet meeting he has with the elders of the Ephesians. Um, and, he's te- and he tells them, you will see my face no more. Uh, I know that... that God continues to show me that I will be in chains, and my, basically, I, I will, my death is coming soon. It's pending. Um, so, that's what he's doing. He's going through Macedonia in these areas. Uh, now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece, probably, and stayed three months. He most likely went to Corinth. We don't see him going back to Athens at all. We don't see a letter to the Athenians. I, I find that interesting um, for a number of reasons. Uh, briefly, uh, the church is accused of bringing a lot, bringing a lot of Greek philosophy into different councils over the years. Uh, even in the early church, even uh, Justin Martyr, who writes two apologies basically to the emperor of that time, does use a lot of you know Greek philosophical precepts, and so we're accused of infusing a bunch of uh, philosophies into the the faith. Whereas, really, we, we, historically, that was a great apologetic move from him because he knew what they knew, and so he was using what they knew to testify to the faith. Paul, I just find it interesting, thought that whole thing, again, the capital of Greek philosophy, the academic supercenter, the epicenter of the world probably at that time, Paul thought was too foolish to return to. Seemingly, anyway, so, you know, let that be a cautionary tale. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So again, he had gone to Greece, and then he went back through Macedonia, because he's a, he was about to go to Syria, basically to go to Jerusalem, and since they're, uh, they're plotting against him, he goes back to Macedonia. And, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. We don't know, we, we don't see him again. Um, so, this is the only time he's mentioned. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. Uh, we do hear, Aristarchus is written about it throughout his epistles. He's a very faithful um, companion as well. Secundus is mentioned once. Uh, and Gaius of Derby, there's another Gaius, and he's from somewhere else, so it's probably two different, guy, uh, two different men. Uh, and Timothy, we all already know Timothy. And Tychicus, he's mentioned again in another letter, in another letter and Trophimus of Asia. He's only mentioned once where Paul left him because he was sick. He left him in Miletus because he was sick. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Trous. Remember, that's where Luke actually first joined his missionary journeys. That's where he kind of found Luke. That's where it started 
being we when they sailed over to Philippi from Trous, it was we that we, we were there and so forth. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So remember, Philippi was where Lydia was, also where that the jailer was, who was by God's grace saved. And so he's visiting that area. And uh, so they sailed away from there after the days of unleavened bread, which was again uh, following Passover. So again, though, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So Paul needs to get there fairly quickly now. That, that's why I think Luke is mentioning this. Um, okay. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Real quickly. So the first day of the week, obviously, is Sunday. The, the Sabbath used to be held on Saturdays because it was the last day of the week because God rested on the, on the sixth day. Now the word Sabbath really means every seventh. So historically, it's been argued that we could establish our, our worship day any day of the week. We could have them every Wednesday. But the church early on, and this is the first time we see it, that the church is meeting on the first day of the week. I, that's why I want to point this out to you, because the first time we see that they come together, they pre, they, what's likely the case, though, at this time, because we do see Paul going into the synagogue as well. So they're most likely worshiping on Saturday, and then they get together at, on Sunday nights, because back then they didn't have weekends, and you know, they're working on Sundays as well, and so they, uh, they meet at night. Okay, and so and and they broke bread. In other words, that's the um, that's the Lord's Supper. Um, and so when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day. He was ready to go the next day and spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. He just carries on. He, he's preaching. He's carrying on, carrying on, carrying on. Uh, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Now, so just set the scene real quickly. It's a it's a it's a room crowded full of people and a bunch of lamps. Okay, we'll get to that here in a second. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, uh, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So window is actually short. What it used to be called was a wind door, because, you know, they, weren't, they didn't have glass at first. You know, you couldn't just open and shut your windows. Basically, it would, be, it would be where breeze would come in. It would actually be a really great place to sit especially when there's a huge crowd and there are a bunch of lamps. So the level of oxygen is pretty much at a minimum. Everybody's breathing in each other's oxygen, and then the oxygen is getting sucked into the lamp too. So there, this, the oxygen is kind of going lower. This, this uh, Eutychus is probably suffering under that, and you know Paul goes on and on and on. You know, and and uh, so uh, he's overcome by sleep, and he falls, and he's taken up dead. So lest we think that he actually wasn't dead, Luke makes it clear that he was taken up dead. Uh, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, uh, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. There's a lot here, but this Elisha did this too, uh, to the Shumanite um, son, where he laid on him and, and covered him whole and prayed to God for him as well. There's a lot there, but that's, that's exactly what he's doing. Let's remember Peter rose, you know, through Peter, Tabitha rose, um, and obviously Christ rose Lazarus. And uh, Talitha, I mean, he says Talitha, we don't know the name of that girl. So, through Christ's power, they are given the, the ability, the, we only see it through Peter and Paul. Let's recognize that again, this gift is for a specific time. These, uh, these apostles, in particular, Peter and Paul, are given these gifts to, to uh, testify to Christ and to save faithful uh, disciples. Uh, okay, so Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So he didn't even stop. And so, you know, <laughs> he, he, woke, you know, he got him to raise from the dead and then just went on preaching as if nothing happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and he went until daybreak, so really until the dawn. So he preached for, from night, from the evening till dawn. Now... I'll, I'll spare you. Okay, I know, I know that's, that's tempting to me, but probably <laughs> horrendous thought to y'all. And, you know, uh, I mean, this could lead into talking about sleeping at church as well uh, and, and things of that sort, but we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Um, 
Okay, yeah, okay. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. I love how Luke writes sometimes. They were not a little comforted. <laughs> you know, obviously, they were very much comforted. They were enthusiastic. They were, they were greatly pleased that their brother in Christ uh, was raised. Uh, then, then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So he wanted to travel by foot. And when he had met, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. It's really close. Uh, we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. It's basically another little island off of Asia. It's part of Asia, but it's like on the western side. All these areas are kind of going right through the western side um, of of Asia. Um, so we stayed at Trogillium, uh, the next, which Samos is another island right off the coast. The next day we came to Miletus. Um, Miletus is where he, he, he'll uh, uh, have these elders come from Ephesus. It's very close to Ephesus. It's just slightly south. I think it's about 20 miles south of Ephesus. So it's not a long journey there. Uh, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Again, the days, are, you know, after the days of unleavened bread, now it's about 43 days uh, until the day of Pentecost. So that's what he wants to do. The portion of Ephesians I wanted to look at is uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Again, I find it a fitting time to consider these books when he goes to these areas. Shall <clears throat> turn there. Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Okay, so again, we are not expositing this area. I want to briefly consider this for a time. I think this is a tremendous encouragement to, to us as Christians as we go and kind of do battle with the world, so to speak, you know, as we engage the world, because there is a spiritual warfare going on. Let's not minimize that. We need to recognize that, and we need to be ready for that, and we need to be prepared for that, and that's what he's talking about. Okay, so... Uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, not your own. Be strong in Him and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, let's go back and, and, and consider David and Goliath. Now, briefly, let's try, the, let's try to do this very briefly. But David and Goliath. David was a shepherd for his whole youth. And, and, he t and uh, when Goliath is there, he wants to go fight Goliath. His brothers tell him, you're crazy. Uh, uh, um, uh, Saul tells him, you're, you're a young man. You know, that, that's really great. I can see you're courageous. That's great. But this Philistine is a champion. This Philistine is about eight feet tall. He's all broad. He's killed all sorts of people. And he's calling them out to bring out their champion. So instead of a big war, we can just handle this mano y mano. You know, just one man versus one man. You know, if I win, you all become our slaves. If he wins, we all become your slaves. That's the deal. Okay. So Saul tells him, you know, no, 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 you can't do that. And, and, and uh, uh, David goes back and remembers, you know, your servant has been a, a shepherd all his life. You know, he's killed the lion. He's killed the lion with his bare, you know, his bare hands and all this kind of thing. He's, and he's killed the bear. Now, he needed two different ways to kill the lion and the bear. I'm trying to do this very briefly. But, but he only had that which was, was afforded to him in nature. He killed the lion and the bear without a sword, without armor, without any of that. And so he's telling, he's telling Saul, 
you know, the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will surely deliver me from this accursed Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine. And then Saul's like, well, that's good. That's a good point. Okay, <laughs> so let's do that. Go ahead and put on my armor, get my sword, go ahead and put on my helmet. And Saul's like six feet tall. Uh, David at this point is still a young man, so it's all loose on him. You know, he, doesn't, he can't he can't even move around in it. The helmet's all huge. He can barely lift the sword. So he's he, he says, I, I won't be able to move in this. No, this is too much. So he just takes it all off. And he goes to the river and he finds five smooth t stones. Remember, and he's got this sling. Okay, and so that's how he takes down the Philistine. I just wanted to go all through that to say this this armor of the Lord is metaphoric, obviously, okay? But the same armor that, that so obviously Saul or David uh, denied the armor from the king, but he was bearing, he was wearing the armor of God because it was God who delivered him. It was God who protected him. It was God who gave him the thought to even go get the stones. It was God who gave him the thought to, to, uh, to save himself from the lion. It was God who gave him the, the strength and the, and the wisdom to tear down the bear. It is God who has given the wisdom and the strength to take that Goliath down. So that is what we're doing. But let us also remember, that's why I wanted to go back to uh, Jacob with that stone. He goes back to, and he consecrated the stone. Whenever God takes you through something, anything, and then finally at the end of it, you see his wonderful faithfulness in it all. Anoint it with oil and remember it for the rest of your life. And, and let that be an encouragement to you every other time you come across something else. Recognize, not that you went through this, but that God who delivered you from the one will deliver you from the other. Okay? And that's what, that's what David was doing. He remembered God delivering him from the lion. He remembered the bear. And so this champion, who's killed countless men, will be nothing. He's, he's like nothing compared uh, to that. So, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's our enemy. Through the seed of the serpent. Let's remember that. Uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against men and women like that. We are fighting, okay, but against principalities, uh, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So again, that, that, that manifests in men and women, but that is the battle. That is who the battle is with, okay? We are not trying to go against men and women, we are trying to go against the dark. We are going against the darkness of this world wrought by Satan, the, the father of lies. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, may be able, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I love that verse. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So remember, that's where they would keep their belt. You know, they would, they would gird themselves. That would keep everything up. You know, if you've got a sling, whatever you have, all of your stuff would be in that belt. So he's basically saying, secure yourself with truth. Um, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The, the breastplate on the priest was a breastplate of judgment. Okay, you, you would have all the, oops, the, the bunch of different colored stones signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. There would be 12 on there, but it was the breastplate of judgment. So he's saying, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is our judgment. There's a lot there that, again, we will consider God willing when we go, go through that. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, Basically, getting ready to, to take our testimony because we are heralds. We are the messengers of God now. We are the light of Christ to the Gentiles now. So we are having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace to prepare yourself with the gospel to take into the ends of the earth. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Fiery darts or arrows, really arrows. So we think about a battle war when, you know, they would sling those fiery arrows and all you have is the shield. You just kind of try to duck and hope for the best. <laughs> and he's saying, uh, taking the shield of faith, that our faith that he has given us is that which, you know, defends us against the fiery darts, the fiery arrows of Satan. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the helmet, salvation, the protection of, of our head, which is, you know, our mind, our, our wisdom kind of a thing, uh, um, is salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, I mean, there's so much there. Again, I've, I've mentioned in Revelation uh, how Christ is depicted as uh, his tongue is a two-edged sword. Because again, the gospel is good news to his people. It's bad news to everybody else. Uh, so it's a two-edged sword, but the word of God is the sword of truth. That is our weapon. This is our weapon and our own blood. We do not, again, we do not cause a riot. We do not go out and try to find a bunch of gang of men and women to cause an uprising to bring the world down. No, we will seek to partner with faithful men and women to proclaim the word of God, his, his sword of truth. That is, that is our purpose. That is our calling. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So not only for yourself, pray for all the saints. Pray for all of God's elect. Remember, that has to be our focus. Yes, we have this life, but our focus has to be God and His glory through His people, including us. We are but one of His many. We are but one of his great harvest, which is special in and of itself. Each grain of that harvest is a special grain. And, he, and, and Jesus says that God knows, God knows all the number of hairs on your head. You can't count the numbers of hairs. He knows all of that. He knows every single little detail. Um, so he's saying, though, pray for yourself and pray for all the saints. And for me. Paul is saying that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So this is where I'll humbly ask if you would also pray for, you know, not just myself, but um, all of God's ministers, all of God's faithful preachers who, who are determined in his spirit, who are uh, established in his spirit, purposed and determined to go out into all the world for the cause of Christ, to be a light to the Gentiles, and to be the light of Christ Jesus in the world forever. Okay. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant faithfulness. Thank you for your hedge of protection. Thank you for your holy armor. Thank you for equipping us in and through the testimony of your spirit and the testimony of your word. May we seek you diligently and fervently that we might seek out the lost, that we might be the laborers. And we do ask for more laborers into your harvest. As now, your name be glorified above all the heavens and above all the earth, now and forever. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.